So today, we're in lesson 43. Everybody got a study sheet. Everybody got their coffee. We're going to look at Paul's defense before the council, and that's in Acts chapter 22, verse 30, all the way through verse 33 of Acts chapter 23. So let's look. We're going to look and see that Let me just kind of fill you in where we are at this point. Remember, Paul has come to Jerusalem. He's been warned before he got to Jerusalem that he was going to be arrested. Of course, that's what happens. He's in Jerusalem fulfilling a Nazarite vow. And he's accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which is false. And the crowd is wanting to kill him. The Romans intervene. They take him captive. Before he's taken away by the Romans, he asks to speak to the crowd and make a defense to the crowd, and that's what we looked at last week. And so he makes a defense. As soon as he utters the word that he was sent to the Gentiles, they want to kill him again. So the Roman soldiers take him out of there. Now here's what they do. They don't know what's going on, so they want to question him. The end of, remember that, if you look at chapter 22, and how they questioned you is they beat you up first. Actually, they scourged you first, okay? I don't know how much, what kind of information you're going to get from somebody doing that, but that was their practice. So he points out, hey, is it lawful for you to do that to a Roman citizen? Once they figure out he's a Roman citizen, they're like not wanting to do that. So now we come to the point where we're at here in chapter 22, verse 30. So look with me at verse 30. The next day... Because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So let's talk about what's going on here. First of all, the the Roman commander wanted to know more about the accusations against Paul. All right, let me just stop for a moment. Okay, if you and I, for, for instance, were to all of us to take a trip to India today, all right, let's say we took a trip to India, all right, we're going to go to Cal- Calcutta, and we see some sort of dispute happening among Hindus, and you are from Kerwinsville, Clearfield County, PA, and you're trying to wrap your brain around why are they fighting among each other? Why are they all upset? And they're Hindus. You'd be like, how many of you know anything about Hinduism here? None of us know anything about Hinduism, right? You'd be trying to wrap your brain around what's going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, You can picture what's happening there. All right, now I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think about an Italian Gentile who's used to worshiping Caesar and a multitude of other gods. And if he was in the military, he worshiped Mars, who was the god of war, okay? Now, he's been sent to serve in Judea among Jews who only worship one god. So first of all, he can't even wrap his brain around that they don't worship more than one god, but they only worship one god, Okay, and they're Jews, and they have these weird laws, can't do stuff on certain days, can't eat 
certain things. And now you're in, they've got this temple thing going on, and they've got a guy that they're trying to kill. And the guy they're trying to kill, he's trying to kill them because he wants to interact with Gentiles like the commander. You're trying to wrap your brain around what the accusations are. Do you understand where the Roman commander's at now? He's trying to figure out what in the world's the ruckus here? What's going on here? What's this issue? Because it's a religious issue. He wants to understand the nature of the accusations. Because he was there, as soon as he uttered the word Gentiles, the crowd gets all up in arms. He's trying to figure this out. Okay? So what he does is, is he wanted to know more about the accusations against Paul. So he had Paul released from his bonds and ordered the Jewish council to appear. Now the Jewish council is the Sanhedrin. This would be the religious leaders and rulers and elders of the Jewish people. They're kind of like the, you know, Rome had its governor, but they had, they allowed the, the, the Jews to have a structure underneath them to regulate the people. And so he wants this council to appear, okay? He wants this council to appear. Now, I want you to understand something. They had the council come to the Romans. Paul's probably in the Antonian fortress. He's not taking Paul to them. He's having the council come to them, all right? He's having the council come to the Romans for Paul's safety. Because why? He just rescued him the night before from being what? A mob wanting to kill him. So he has the council come to them. And when the council is gathered, the commanders set Paul before them. So they set Paul before them. So notice now, verses 1 through 10. Let me read you these verses. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God, unto this day. And the high priest, Annas, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you do command me to be struck contrary to the law. Those who stood by said, Do not revile God's high priest. Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I'm being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there was a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' parties arose, protesting, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let us not fight against him. Now 
when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Okay, what a meeting. Here we go. I want you to notice what's going on here. First of all, Paul proclaimed that he, was, he had a clean conscience before God. First thing he does is he stands up and he proclaims, I have a clean conscience before God. And he does. He's doing what God's telling him to do. The next thing I want you to see is, is that the high priest ordered Paul to be struck on the mouth. Whoa, now isn't that interesting? What do you think, what would happen if you went to the courthouse and, and, and somebody appears before one of the judges there and the judge orders the sheriff's deputy to slap the guy on the mouth? It'd be a big ruckus, wouldn't it? That's just unfathomable. That doesn't sound like justice at all, does it? That's not how things work, right? It didn't work that way in their system either because that was not to take place. What the high priest just asked him to do was unlawful even in the Jewish system. So you can already see that the, de the deck is stacked against Paul, right? You can already see that this is happening. Because immediately, as soon as Paul speaks, they, they want to strike him on the mouth. In fact, they did strike him on the mouth. So I want you to notice what happened. Paul rebuked the high priest for breaking the law and having him struck. I mean, it's pretty, he called him a whitewashed wall. Now, that's probably not what you would use for the terminology if you're wanting to choose somebody out, right? But what it meant was is that he looked good on the outside, but he wasn't really good on the inside. He, he had the appearance of something good, but not, all right? Something good, but not. In fact, here, I want you to understand something. Jesus even mentioned this about the Pharisees. He referred to them as whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside but filled with bones on the inside. You whitewash things to make them appear nice, right? You, you whitewash things to make them appear nice. So he rebukes the high priest. Now, after being confronted for reviling the high priest, Paul mocked that he did not know that. Here's what happens. As soon as he reviles the high priest, somebody says to him, you can't talk that way about the high priest. Paul says, I didn't know that he was the high priest. Now, let's stop for a moment. Does Paul know who the high priest is? How does Paul know who the high priest is? What? Robes and clothing, but more than that. He has a personal reason to know the high priest. Remember, why was he going to Damascus in the first place? Think back. Yeah, he got permission from the high priest to kill Christians. He was sent by the high priest to kill Christians. He knows, he personally knows the high priest. He was the high priest's right-hand man in persecuting the church. He knows who the high priest is. It's basically a statement of mocking he's making. He's basically saying, oh, I didn't know that was the high priest because he obviously isn't acting like one because you don't want to revile the leader of the people. You see what's going on here? He's mocking his authority because he's not acting within his authority. 
Okay? He's mocking his authority because he's not acting with his in authority, within his authority. So stop for a moment. Right now, if you're Paul, what are you thinking about this meeting? You're before the Jewish council. Already, as soon as you stood up to say something, they're slapping you on the face to shut you down. What do you think is going through his mind about this meeting? It's stacked against him, right? It, there's no way out of this meeting. He, the, the, the odds are stacked against him. So this is what, what happens next is amazing. It, it almost kind of tells you, Paul's an amazing guy because he thinks quick. Do you understand what I'm saying? He thinks very quick. Why? Paul recognized that the council was divided between Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, let's stop for a moment. The religious community of the Jews was basically divided into several groups. Two of the main groups were the Pharisees, and then the other group was the Sadducees. The Pharisees were basically the middle class, middle class businessmen, upstanding citizens of the community. In fact, they were the, mo the, the group that had the most people in them. The Sadducees were made up of aristocrats and the people from a priestly line, who high priest family who served in the temple. Besides that difference, what's the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Kind of tells you here in the scripture. What does a Sadducee believe? Doesn't believe in a resurrection, okay? Anybody else? What, what do they not believe or believe? Tells you right there. If you need to, look at the passage. Yeah, they don't believe in angels and they don't believe in spirit beings, okay? Here's what they believe, just so you know. They only believed in the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. That was it. They didn't believe in the prophets. They didn't believe in the poetry books. They didn't believe in anything, the historical books. All they believed was the first five books. And because of that, they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in angelic beings. That's interesting because the first five books mention angelic beings, right? And they didn't believe in spirits or anything. They didn't believe. Basically, they're liberals, okay? They're liberals. The only thing that they were interested in was keeping the peace so they could have power. Pharisees, though, believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels. They believed in all of what we call the Old Testament. They believed all of that, all right? So you can see there's two different groups here. So Paul recognizes, I mean, he's astute. How would he know that? Because he was one of them. He interacted with this council all the time. He knew what their makeup was. So he's perceiving that who's here that day is basically they're split down even. So here's what he does. He proclaimed that he was a Pharisee being persecuted for his belief in the resurrection. Now, he didn't tell a lie, did he? Was he a Pharisee? Yep. Did he believe in the resurrection? Yes. So he's not lying. He just says, men and gentlemen, I'm being persecuted because of my, I'm a Pharisee being persecuted because of my belief in the resurrection. Wow. Then the kerfuffle happens. That's my word today, kerfuffle. Okay? Then the ruckus starts. Because now he's 
by that statement, he divides the group right in half. Now think, he, he knows he hasn't got a chance with these guys. He knows there's no way that he's going to get a fair trial with these guys. So he makes a statement that basically divides the group so that they can't come to a decision. Because he knows that his, and you're going to see this as we go on, his only chance of living is with who? The Romans. Not with the Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they want him dead. So here's what happens. This caused the council to be divided as the Pharisees stated that they found no fault in him. So immediately the scribes were like, wait a minute, now hold on a second, because they heard his testimony. We don't find any, any problem with him because who can tell what angel spoke to him? You notice, notice what that's what they're saying? Because they believe in angels. Who can tell if an angel spoke to him or a spirit? And yes, he believes in a resurrection, so... We don't find any fault with him. They did find fault, but in this instance, it became a Sadducee versus a Pharisee issue, not a Paul issue. He turned it from Paul to a Sadducee versus Pharisee issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? He made it a bigger issue. So, this caused the council to be divided. So because the division became heated... The Roman commander removed Paul by force. Literally, he was afraid. They were, I mean, they must, this is not your normal meeting. This is not like your normal business, Robert's Rule of Orders meeting. They're like getting upset. The commander sees what's going on. He's afraid that Paul's going to be what? Torn to pieces. So he has the soldiers go in and get, the, get Paul out of there. Thus ends... Paul's defense before the council. That's it. Didn't even get a chance to defend himself. That's just, I mean, you've got you to hand it to Paul. He understood what needed to happen, okay? Talk about wisdom there. Wisdom. So notice now, the rest of our time, chapter here, we're going to look at some different things that are happening here. We're going to see that the situation doesn't get any better. So look with me at verse 11 through 22. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will, not eat, that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. 
So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed Paul. Now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Okay, so let's talk about the plot against Paul's life. I mean, this is serious, obviously. They want to get rid of him, all right? They want to get rid of him. Now, here's what's going on. The Lord appeared to Paul to assure him that he must be a witness in Jerusalem. Wow, isn't that interesting? Jesus himself appears to Paul again. The Lord himself appeared to Paul and assured him. Now let me just stop for a moment. Think about the situation that we have here. You have Paul. He's being told by the Holy Spirit, before he comes to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be arrested. He's being arrested now. When he's arrested, they almost try to, they, they try to kill him. He's almost killed, except that he's rescued, if you want to call it that, by the Romans, who want to scourge him, but he's got to put a stop to that. He appears before the council. He sees the deck is stacked against him. The Jews want him dead. So that night, after the council meets, Jesus appears to him and says to him, Hey, just like you were a witness to me here, in Jerusalem, you're going to be a witness for me in Rome. Now, what's that going to do to you if you're Paul? Give you courage. It's going to strengthen you. Because Paul trusts in who? The Lord. He knows that the Lord is the one who's in control, right? So he's not worried about what happens from this point on, right? He's not. Because he's got the Lord who told him, you're going to be a witness to me. If Jesus says you're going to go somewhere, folks, you're going to what? Go there, right? You're going to go there, all right? You're going to go there. Now listen. So that evening, 40 Jews conspired with the chief priests to kill Paul. Now they make an interesting vow here. We're not going to eat or drink till he's dead. At one point, you're going to see that he's in Caesarea later for two years. Can you go two years without eating or drinking? I mean, seriously, it's just like a crazy vow, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? We're not going to eat anything until we kill him. Okay? Now, 40 Jews conspired with the chief priests to kill Paul. They planned to kill Paul at the next inquiry before the council. They wanted, they wanted the chief priests and the elders to ask the commander to bring Paul before them again, probably to bring them to wherever the council met in Jerusalem. And before he got there, they would ambush, kill the Romans, and kill Paul. That was their plan. 
That's what they wanted to do. Now, their p plan to kill Paul was heard by Paul's sister's son. Stop for a moment. That would make the boy a what? A nephew of Paul. Paul had family in Jerusalem, folks. And from the description, okay, from the description of the text, how, how old do you think this boy is? You think he's a teenager? You think he's an adult? Look at the text. It says when the commander talked to him, he took, took him by the hand. A child, yeah, so a child heard. This boy is probably a child. So somehow he overheard the 40 talking. Maybe they were going through the streets talking about their conspiracy, and he heard that, and he went and told his mama, and his mama said, you've got to go tell Paul. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? So you can see where this is possible. Because listen, if you are a conspirator, and you're talking openly, are you going to worry about if a little kid hears you? No. No, not at all, are you? Okay? Not at all. So Paul's nephew revealed the plot to him and shared the information with the commander. So he tells the commander, Paul and the commander, about this plot. After hearing the report, the commander ordered them to be silent about the plot. Why do you think he's doing that? Yes, he doesn't want a leak. We know about leaks, right? We hear that all the time in the news, right? Okay? Even, it doesn't matter who's in control. There's always, information can be what? Paid for. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Information gets out. Remember during World War II, loose lips, what? Sink, sink ships, right? Okay? It happened in their day as well. So the commander commanded the boy don't tell anybody about the plot. Now, let's notice what happens now. Look with me at verse 23 to 33. He called for two centurions. Now, remember what a centurion is. A centurion is a commander of a hundred soldiers. He called for two centurions, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Third hour of the night. When night happened, that would have been anywhere between 9 o'clock and midnight. Okay? Anywhere between 9 o'clock and midnight, depending on when the sun went down. All right? And provide mounts to set Paul on him and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote in a following manner, Claudius Laesus, to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Now you can see there's a little bit of shiftiness in what he's writing here, okay? And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council, and I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told to me that Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him the next day 
to Amphipolis. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. Okay, so let's look here. First of all, the commander ordered a large armed guard to take Paul to Caesarea at night. This guy is pretty shrewd. He hears there's 40 men out to kill him. What's he do? 470 soldiers? 200 spearmen? 200 soldiers? 200, I mean, 70 horsemen? You think he's serious about making sure he's going to get the guy there? He's doing it, right? He, he sends Paul to Caesarea at night. The commander wrote a letter to the procurator concerning Paul's case. Now, isn't that interesting? If you read the letter, he's not letting it all be known. I heard he was a Roman and we rescued him. He didn't know he was a Roman until he was getting ready to beat him. What's he doing there? He's covering his what? Yeah, he's, co- yeah, he's covering his hind end, isn't he? Okay? He's covering, just in case Paul said, they were getting ready to beat me and I told him I was a Roman, you know, No, no, he said, we heard he was a Roman and we rescued him, okay? Now, the troops delivered Paul and the letter to the procurator in Caesarea. That's where we're going to stop, because next week we're going to talk about Paul's defense before the most excellent Felix, who is a Roman procurator. 